Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio.
That's right. Turn off your mainstream media. Turn on the alternative media, whether that's V Radio, TZM Global Radio, Z Radio, ZMUK Radio, um, alternative uh, documentaries such as Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist Addendum, Zeitgeist Moving Forward, um, anything on the must-see TV list at v-radio.org. And also, of course, Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda, which brings me to tonight's, or, well, today's guest, Ben Stewart. Um, ben, don't forget, I had you mute your mic. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, buddy. It's good to be back. No problem. You know, Ben, you've always been one of my favorite guests here. And to those of you who are tuning in to V Radio for the first time, please visit my website, v or v radio.org. There you can check the archives for more shows like this one. Um, and including several other shows with Ben Stewart from the from the films uh, filmmaker of Chimatica Esoteric Agenda, uh, lead singer of the band. Um, remind me of the name again. Hyrosonic. I'm always terrible at remembering those things. <laughs> it's a great band, though. I was listening to your music just the other day, actually, as I was doing housework. But um, and uh, you can also check out my must see TV list, as I had mentioned earlier, a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the internet that are all pertinent information. And the reason I call them must-see TV is that this is what you should be watching on your TV. Speaking of taking over your TV, folks, um, there's technology available to take your TV back. Um, the TV itself is just an instrument. as a means to watch things, to experience things. But there is technology that will allow you to plug your television directly into your computer, which is what's going on in my living room. I have a computer hooked up directly to my television. I choose exactly what goes into it. I choose to turn off any form of advertising. I choose not to expose my children to advertising, um, and you have the power to do that. But more importantly, you have the power to create the alternative media. You have the power to not do exactly everything that you heard that guy rant about from the movie network. So all that being said, folks, um, you know, thank you for tuning in today, and thank you again, Ben, for being on today. Um, you had contacted me about just wanting to have a typical you know, V-Radio conversation with Ben Stewart. Um, we were going to talk a little bit about, you know, your feelings in the Occupy movement, um, as well as uh, some of your current work, um, your your new film, and the film that you have coming out next. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, launch into that now. I, I heard that you actually attended an Occupy movement and got some footage footage recently. Well, yeah, I was down in um, Harrisburg, the uh, small city of Harrisburg, and there may have been a couple hundred people down there. And, uh, you know, to be very clear about uh, me attending was uh, basically to get the footage. And obviously I'm going up to uh, New York here soon and I'm actually planning on attending uh, Salt Lake City and Los Angeles and San Diego as well. And, um, you know, I've had plenty of people ask me where I stand on the Occupy movement and it's it's very simple to me. I personally, I wouldn't have even given it a name. Uh, the The part of this, uh, event I would say that I like the most is the fact that there are human beings in, lo in large amounts gathering together asking for change and it's leaderless. Um, there's, it, you know, obviously there are a lot of ideas about what they're there uh, asking for, demanding, or uh, welcoming. However, the portions that I see that I like are the human beings get getting together and welcoming change. Um, I don't really support any of the ideals of the Occupy movement, and that's um, not for any other reason other than the fact that I don't support any ideals whatsoever. I support people. Uh, ideals change day-to-day. -day. Beliefs and dogmas, obviously, they change day-to-day. -day. And um, what supposedly Fox News says about 
the Occupy movement today will change tomorrow as soon as they're not getting the ratings that they were uh, from saying that they're anti-Semites. Tomorrow it's going to be drug pushers. The day after that it's going to be pedophiles. You know, what, whatever can be said about it probably will be said um, because anything that has a, lar a large amount of support obviously is a threat to any anything established, um, especially if those groups are there speaking about the establishment. So uh, first and foremost, yeah, I don't really support any of the ideals and any of what's being said there, but I support people that are welcoming change because that's going to happen regardless. Change is already in the middle of happening. It's been happening for the past 10 years now, and it's going to keep accelerating. And I think people standing out on the street, as long as they don't move much farther than just giving it its name, um, I think that a lot of potential could come out of it. Uh, however, the one thing I have seen with things like this in the past is as soon as you give it a name and then throw a slogan underneath it, then you'll have two to three hundred different small companies that'll put it on a t-shirt and, and jack up the prices three, four bucks, uh, turn a profit on it, and then there'll be stickers all, you know, all over. It's going to be all over Facebook with um, new types of merchandise and wristbands and beanies and things that you can buy um, to capitalize on the essence of it. And the essence is going to leave. And what I have actually said in previous radio interviews is, the only type of, not even really advice, but the only thing I could say that I would like to see come out of it is people just occupying as long as they can. Not going home, just keep occupying and be open to whatever change brings because change is going to bring this movement where change is naturally going to go. Change only knows how to happen in one way, and it's when people think that they're the ones controlling the change that change falls apart and it just turns into um another uh, you know another another failed attempt at changing things by by living in the same consciousness and uh, using the same intelligence as we've had b before and obviously Einstein even says that you really can't fix a problem or overcome an obstacle by using the same intelligence that created it and that's why I'm I'm simply telling people to keep occupying and keep open keep open minded about what this can be because as it grows as more support is uh, built into it, it's going to take on many different faces. And as long as they can adapt with each face and keep it open and keep it open-minded as to what can actually come out of it, I think we can see something incredible happen within the next year. And um, and that's what I'm excited about. I'm not excited about the T-shirts and the and the wristbands and the beanies and the hoodies and the uh, and the stickers and the beer koozies that are going to be made from it. Um, however, that is a necessary evil sometimes. But, um, yeah, again, just to, to reiterate my stance on it, none of the ideals are anything that I would say that I stand behind. It's the people there. So when I go there, you know, I, I bring food for the people. I bring water for the people there, not for the for the ideals, not for the movement itself, but because people want change, and that's what I dig. Well, you know, um, uh I, I've looked at this actually because uh, I know that a lot of the different Zeitgeist Movement chapters are getting involved in different, you know, Occupy events, and at least these people are at least awake to some of the the problems that we see. You know, the things that you talk about in your films, to some degree, the things that we talk about in the Zeitgeist films, the things that Venus, Venus Project mentions, and um, I think that it's important that people are getting out of the street, getting out on the streets to kind of bring awareness to the elephant in the room. I mean, we are kind of 
at a point where you know it really is time for people to open their windows and stand up and scream that they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore um i mean it's it's amazing to watch the media try to bounce off of it you know and do their best to you know to marginalize it and you know and of course you know people who are yelling and screaming and you know and hollering about the idea of universal health care well you know we can put those on and talk about how they you know that's favorable you know but on but on the negative side anybody who thinks that corporations or wall street is corruption is bad or bailouts are bad well they're just a bunch of hippies who need to go get a job yeah you know um and that's one of the big problems that i have you know is one of the reasons why i think you know even peter is trying to focus a little bit on it is that regardless of what occupy becomes it's an opportunity for you know like people like you People like Peter, because Peter spoke at the L.A. Occupy recently, and I'm hoping he speaks at more of them. I'm hoping you get up and speak to some of these people, is that this is getting some people out into this who weren't involved in it in the first place. You know, these, this is getting – activism is becoming more popular because of it. Um, and, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen a mobilization on this level since the 60s. You know, I wasn't around for the 60s, but um, obviously, you know, as in um, on a sociological level – you know, I haven't seen uh, protests of this level since the 60s. So, you know, at, at least at that and that and that way, it's 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 good. I guess, you know, what the Zeitgeist Movement would like to focus on is just trying to give these people, you know, other solutions, because um, in many cases, they're they're kind of there and they're saying they're mad. And I totally agree. Um, but it's a question of what are they going to you know, what do they want you know people to do? And they do have a lot of things that they've put up that they've demanded. And there, there's a there's a spin going on right now that these people don't want to do anything or they have no idea. And I, I want to debunk that because I had a great guy on my show. Uh, for, uh, Lucas Vasquez actually was on my show from Occupy New York. Um, and and he was you know talking about the fact that they get labeled as these people don't know what they're talking about. But they need to recognize that the system as it currently exists is not going to be patched anymore to fix the problem. You know, it's we were kind of running to the end. You know, that's. Um, one of the reasons why the Occupy Detroit thing I'm thinking about going along is that, you know, I, I just dealt with this recently. Actually, there was somebody who put up a a note on Facebook that a bunch of people liked that was in the spirit of the Occupy uh, notes. And it basically says, you know, uh, I work hard and I put myself through school and I work 30 hours a week and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, um, I don't blame it on the corporations that I'm in this situation. And, you know, anybody who is one of the 99%, it's all their fault. And I'm just like, you know, uh, it's really nice that you were able to find a job to work for 30 hours a week. But some of us can't even do that. You know, it's like here where I live in Michigan, unemployment's about 43%. They don't report it accurately. They report who's on unemployment right now. They don't, uh, you know, but meaning unemployment benefits is all that gets reported. People who are no longer, vi you know, no longer eligible don't get reported. People who were not eligible because their employers knew when to fire them, because if you fire them within a certain amount of time, you're not eligible. You know, they don't get recorded, you know, so it, but it's it's a little bit closer to 43 percent. I would shovel excrement for a living if there were, you know, excrement shoveling jobs around. I grew up on a farm. I'm no stranger to hard work, but there's no excrement shoveling, shoveling jobs. And we're at the state here now where, like, I don't know if, like, you know, you've ever been around the auto industry, but in Michigan – it used to be, hey, you know, I got this connection. This friend of mine is going to get me into GM. You know, like it was something you had to get somebody to get you into. You know, you had to know somebody. Right. And that and that's how it is with fast food restaurants right now. I, I wish I was joking. Like 
You have to know someone working at the McDonald's to get the job. You know, um, and that's why I guess, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are some still some, you know, quote unquote, lazy people that fit the mold that everyone's just trying to claim that the, you know, uh, vast majority of everyone who is poor, you know, the, the free market attitude is to always say, well, it's all their fault. They're just lazy if they just went and got a job as if I could squeeze a stone and get water out of it. And that's essentially where a lot of us are at. There's going to be a point where, you know, the, some of these people are going to have to understand taking for granted the idea that you're going to be able to sell your labor for anything resembling a living wage is becoming a thing of the past. You know, and it's not really in the best interest of the elite to need you. So, you know, I guess that would be my point is that if they can focus on goals that make sense, that will actually make lasting changes, I'm all about it, you know, for sure. Um, if it's just going to be to continue to complain about it or think that maybe we should reform the government to have more socialist programs, which are well-intentioned, but just not practical in a system that's also capitalist. You can't have both. And we've had this kind of weird bastard child of capitalism and socialism in the United States, and one eats at the other. It just doesn't work. You know, so, but anyway, sorry about my rant, but... No, that's 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 perfect, because, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, the, the, the basis of it is, again, the thing that I dig, the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people out there, and they know that the system that we're living in right now, the system that we are feeding from is really an ancient, it's a dinosaur, you know, it's a fossil that we're still holding on to for some reason because it hasn't really served the large majority of the population for quite some time now. And that is not capitalism's fault. My personal belief is it's not capitalism's fault and it's not anybody individually's um, fault or you can't really place the blame on anything individually. Capitalism, you'll hear a lot of, um, you know, crap talking about it. However, it's a tool, you know, just as socialism is a tool, just as any ism, any philosophy, anything along those lines are tools. And what it does is it brings out that within people and it brings out those uh, characteristics within people. And it's the same thing. I'm sure you've seen the bumper stickers. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And it's sure. the same thing is, you know, um, religion. Religion doesn't kill anybody. A Bible has never stood up and stabbed somebody. A church has never intentionally lit itself on fire to kill the people inside. It's people. It's always people. And the way that I have been explaining it, um, in, the, in, the, in the short you know, little bit that the Occupy movement has been out, in the past few radio interviews, is the fact that I like to see people out there doing one thing, and that's occupying and challenging the uh, the current way that things are actually operating, challenging the system, that is awesome. When it becomes too poignant and when it becomes um, too directed towards, say, Wall Street and money uh, per se and the jobs and things like that, that is um, – and that's not even a problem. That's That's everybody's right to do that. But the thing that I see is the fact that uh, obviously – and you, you know me and you know from my work – I don't believe that money is the problem whatsoever. I think that money is a tool, again, that can be used any way we choose to use it. Now, obviously, when 99% of the population owns less than 1% of all the wealth, there's something that needs to be reconsidered. You know, so 
the what I've noticed is that usually in these uh, situations, and I haven't seen them, this with the Occupy movement, and that's why I still dig it, but usually when large amounts of people take the street and they're they're either demanding something, they're demanding change, or they're asking for something, it doesn't matter how you want to put it, usually they're they're giving the energy of I'm fighting the system and at the same time I'm asking the system for, for a favor, for a handout, or for something. And I don't see that happening here. And that's kind of why I am even saying anything about the Occupy movement is because when it comes to demands, other than the fact that um, – what a demand actually is is you're demanding a service in in some way, shape, or form. Now, if the energy of it, and sometimes people don't really see the the, the disparity between these two, but if you are there under the uh, under the understanding that you are welcoming change, something is already happening and you're welcoming it, and you are there giving your support for it, then that is an energy to where you're not asking the system to take care of you because. I have noticed, and I have talked to quite a few people, and obviously this isn't a blanket statement for um, for the Occupy movement, but it's one thing that I've noticed within certain individuals is their problem is with Wall Street, and their solution is with Wall Street. Their problem is with money, so their solution is money, and that makes absolutely no sense. That's counterintuitive uh, problem solving. Again, as Einstein said, that would be the trying to figure out a problem with the same intelligence that created it. And I believe that this can become so much more with the support and with people being open-minded. And that's actually why, um, obviously, UnGrip has been um, has been screened guerrilla-style on the side of buildings while there's been thousands of people sitting through the streets. I think that's amazing, not just because um, – because I, you know, I love guerrilla advertising or guerrilla not marketing, but uh, getting spreading the message through um, through those means. I think is really awesome, and I like that. And I would like to see stuff like that keep going. Because what I've noticed is that I I never expected the occupiers to actually be there twenty four seven all night long. I, I you know you figure most times in the past it's. Hey, October fifteenth, we're going to go out and we're going to do a big rally. We're going to have thousands of people uh, marching. That's great. And then October sixteenth rolls around and nobody pays attention to it anymore. The thing I dig about this is that people are occupying not just during the day from eight in the morning till six o'clock at night. They're there twenty four seven, and that is why the only advice I've uh, uh, even been able to come up with so far is keep occupying and keep open. That's it. Because no, for sure. I think that the support and the amount of people that are out there. See, uh, also this is the, the reason why I said I don't really, um, I don't really look at the ideals of the Occupy movement, is because I don't even really there. There are certain ideals that I've put in my own films that I don't even really subscribe to, and the reason behind that is because when you're continually open to any type of change whatsoever. It's good to always, in the back of your mind, know that whatever it is that I, whatever ideal or whatever philosophy I've held to in the past is really mostly just a psychological construct. And that's good. You can grow, you can develop, you can learn about yourself within that. But if you remain open to change, what I've noticed is that change isn't something that people do. Change is happening right now. It's like in the space between people. It's in the air. It's almost airborne it's a culture and it's something that you tap into 
So the people, the hundreds of thousands of people that are occupying Zuccotti Park, you know, obviously Salt Lake City, San Diego, Austin, Boston, uh, Roanoke, uh, up in Canada, all throughout the states, up in all throughout Canada, down in um, Australia, I've seen it, and I I haven't seen anything specific, but I know there's Occupy London, I know there's uh, ones over in Europe, and I haven't seen anything specific about South America. Uh, however, I I would highly doubt if there wasn't something going on in South America. And I think that's really, really, really incredible. And the way that uh, what really actually reaches me about this is the fact that it is still in its formative stages. This came about so quickly. And it doesn't matter whether Adbusters started it or not. It doesn't matter where the origin is. And I know a lot of people are, are looking into, okay, how did this start? Is this something that was paid for by the left? Is this something that's kind of, um, you know, sneaky? Is there is there an ulterior motive? Well, the problem with any of that type of thought is the fact that you have so many people over such a short amount of time that are a part of this thing that it almost doesn't even matter how it started. Nobody knows about adbusters except for the ones that were already aware of the adbusters. And nobody really even cares that that may have been the start. What people care about is being in a group full of people that are like-minded, um, hundreds of thousands of people or maybe just a couple hundred people like here in, um, here in Harrisburg. What people like is sharing that space, sharing that moment, occupying that moment with other people that are looking for the same thing because it's the same thing as a band who's doing improv. What I've noticed with our band is when we do anything improv or when, we, when, we're, uh, when we're just jamming out, it's five people not reading each other but reading the moment. Not We don't all have to be like, okay, where's Jared at right now? What's he about to do? Oh, oh what's Randy about to do? What's Mike about to do? What about Brandon? It has nothing to do with that. We all tap into the moment, and the moment writes the song. And that's the same thing with any type of change. All change is already present right now in the spaces between people. And if you tap into it, then change is going to happen in the only way that it knows how. But when people start getting in the way of change and start turning it into an opportunity for them to either, A, make a name for themselves, or if they don't understand it enough and they believe that they're turning it strictly towards Wall Street or strictly um, towards uh, anti-this or anti-this or pro-this and pro-that, when people are open to the fact that change is happening right now, then they may be open to the fact that it change will, usually comes in a way that you have never imagined before, especially when it's revolutionary. And that is what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing hundreds of thousands of people welcoming change in a manner that they may have never even expected before, because then that's challenging them to their core. That's challenging their own beliefs and their own ideals. And I'm not here specifically to, to try and change politics. I'm not here to change economics. I don't even really care too much about the changes that happen in the outside world, because to me, the outside world is nothing more than a reflection of the collective hearts and minds of all the people. So if the people aren't changing within and that's the reason why we, you know we're calling this interview the the only last that truly changes or I'm sorry the only change that truly lasts is the fact that change only happens within and the world on the outside reflects that and you can see certain types of things change you'll see a corporation fall maybe nobody within change to make that happen you you may see policy change and you may see certain little things uh here and there within legislation change 
However, to actually have a system that works, not the broken thing that we have today, not the dinosaur, not this vehicle that no longer works that we keep trying to put new tires on and a new engine and a new transmission inside of, the thing is dead. Leave it alone. Allow for the real change to happen. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I know that's a tall order. That's a very large, you know, jagged pill to swallow. However, that is what I'm looking forward to, is actually true, lasting change that comes from a grassroots level. Because if you demand the parent figure, the government, the economic system, Wall Street, if you demand change from them, then they're going to give you the change that they believe, that we will believe, and they will be able to keep exactly the amount of wealth and exactly the amount of resources and assets and the opportunities and possibilities that they already have. Because there is no way, no way in hell, that anybody in Wall Street, anybody in the White House, anybody who has their life set right now with money, with opportunity, with their house, with their family, with their job, none of them are going to give it up for 100,000 people standing in the street asking for equality and change. None of them will. The only thing that will happen is if they understand that it's not up to them to change things anymore. It's us. And we are not changing things. We are allowing for this change to happen and they can be they can be part of the change if they want, or they can be swept away in the rubble. And that's that to me is the slogan of this Occupy movement. Without being able to put it on a T-shirt, it's change by no name. And that's what I dig about it so far. Now, um, just to to get back to the, just a real quickly anyway, the the notion of of money as a tool. I understand completely where you're coming from. Um, I would point out that as mankind evolves and other technologies come about. Um, we have other tools um, that eventually, like any other tool, we can eventually uh, circumvent or, or, I'm sorry, supersede and eventually create a world that doesn't need those tools anymore. You know, I mean, we don't Absolutely. use rocks as hammers anymore. You know, so that's, I guess, what I would get at is that we've kind of come to a point also where some tools can even be dangerous if they continue to be used. I mean, firearms are tools by that right, by that definition, and you know, and I don't think rounding up all the firearms is a good idea, but I also do believe and creating a better society to where I don't need my firearms anymore. You know, that that's just where I would go with the concept of money. We could oh, get absolutely. to a point where we've advanced so that we don't need it anymore. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And actually, that was something that I was going to bring up, but um, uh, but I got a little sidetracked from it. With money, absolutely. That is, as of right now, and I think more so than demonizing it as of right now, people need to understand what money actually is. Now, Money is, is obviously it's a tool and it's a conduit for certain types of energy. Money always flows where attention is at. So the reason why Facebook, not charging a single person even a penny, the reason why Facebook and you know, Mark Zuckerberg is a billionaire because of Facebook is not because he, he learned how to make um, a shit ton of money through Facebook. He got everyone's attention and attention is the most powerful thing. So when people start realizing that what money is, is an old tool, a tool that no longer serves us anymore, then change will happen. And it's the same thing as religion. The reason why, you know, there's a lot of, I think, kernels of truth in religion on a psychological level, you know, on a conscious level. I think there's a lot of psychological truths there because there's no way that something that's 100% bullshit could have millions upon billions of people um, swayed by it. So obviously there's kernels of truth in it. Now the thing is, is all the lingo, all the words 
that are used within religion are old tools. They're old symbols. They're old, tired-out things such as God, worship, all of these things. They're old words, and they're loaded with so much connotation. And that's the same thing as money right now. Money is so overloaded with specific connotations, with specific ideas, and it's a symbol already for what people believe to be evil. You know, And so when people look at money, they no longer look at opportunity, opportunity anymore. They look at survival, and people associate money with survival. Let's say that over the past couple thousand years or maybe just the past couple hundred years, if people would have started looking at money more as an opportunity, then maybe we would glorify money. So again, it always comes down to the people. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's money. It has to do with the fact that people over the past few hundred years have looked at those dollars according to survival and according to the fact that other people control it, not me. I don't produce my wealth. The federal government does. And that's the problem is the, is the fact that people didn't recognize that they were giving all of their energy away through that conduit of money. They were giving all of their attention and their money away. So then people started laying down when it came to, came to higher taxes, when it came to um, anything that was uh, corrupt within a financial system. They began laying down because within them, they had been raised – through their families, through the past few generations, to look at that money as something that, well, you, you got to have it. You can't not have it. That's how we survive. So people associate money with survival. I no longer do that. And to me, I have absolutely no problem with money myself personally because I understand what it is. It's just a piece of paper, and it's a piece of paper that has a lot of people's attention. You could wave a dollar around and throw it on the street. You'd be damn sure that there was going to be somebody – Shortly after that, that's going to uh, run over there and grab it. That's one thing that you can throw on the ground that anybody would go would go and grab. Now, that to me shows the fact that it has everybody's attention, and their attention is based upon this idea that it has value, intrinsic value. And I, you know, I know Peter uh, Joseph has probably already said in in his work. It doesn't really serve any purpose. It actually serves more purpose to a cokehead than it does to a Wall Street you know, banker because at least the cokehead is using it for some value. But the other people, everybody else, is using those dollars as imaginary value. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually – that can be used as a very amazing tool because if you look at a dollar as something that opens up two doors and two more possibilities are behind those, then you're looking outward. You're looking at it. In possibility, but when you look at that dollar as survival, which 99% of all the people are, look at that dollar as survival, that's when you start having the problem. And then you start having the, you know, obviously since it is created by an external source, value now psychologically is never produced within. So we're trained in a very, very subtle symbolic way to believe that we don't have anything of value. We need to go somewhere else for value. And to me, that, that says less about the financial and the banking systems than it does about the mass psychological culture that we're living in right now. We are children. Children give away their authority to their parents. Children ask for food from their parents. Children go to their parents for money, for opportunity, for protection, for entertainment, for everything. Children go to an external source and they demand, they beg for, they ask for 
anything, any type of change, any type of sustenance, any anything that will sustain them whatsoever. However, an adult understands that no value other than learning comes from the parents. So to me, my question is, what are people learning about our government? Have people recognized themselves within the government and within this failing economic system? Because the economic system, Wall Street, it's based upon people's emotions. It's mass appeal. Wall Street fails when people stop believing in it. What does that say about the dollar? It's the same thing. When people stop believing in the dollar, it doesn't matter what, the, what happens to the dollar. You can cut it in half. You can burn it. That means nothing because it's just cotton paper with ink on it. But when people stop believing in something, if people stop believing in Facebook, would Mark Zuckerberg be a billionaire anymore? Not at all. And that is my point, is the fact that, yes, there is a problem with this tool, money, absolutely. And I would love to see nothing more than for us to move away from money and say, why do we need these cotton pieces of paper? Why do we need these numbers on my computer screen? We don't because that's value that other people recognize. I don't recognize that as valuable anymore. I recognize within me that is where all the value comes. All the change comes through people. Everything, Every beautiful piece of art comes through people. Every piece of legislation first gets passed through a person. Every corporation is built by people. And that is the thing about all of this. There's no such thing as a corporation. I was actually doing a radio interview last night where uh, with Rob in the Paget family from the film on Grip, and he was saying somebody was asking him the question, "Well, what about taxes? How do you get away from you know? How do I get away from my taxes? I owe so much in back taxes. If I go sovereign, does that mean that I don't have to pay my taxes anymore, and I don't have to pay back that um, you know that lump sum of money?" And Rob said very simply. Wait, wait, wait. Before you say any of that, go back to the start. Why are you saying those are your taxes? Why are you saying that's your debt? It's not. It's mm -hmm. your corporation's debt. It's your corporation's taxes. We as humans, and this is how the entire system works uh, through, uh, through any type of credit and money. People are the creditors. Banks come to us to sign our signature. Our signature is the only thing that has value. So when we are sent a bill in the mail, what most people don't recognize is that's a check. They're actually sending us a check, and what we do is we give it value and send it back to them. And there have actually been people up in Canada that what they do is they take the bill and they'll write accept for credit. And then on the back, I forget exactly what they write, but they write um, just a, a certain little, like maybe put their initials or something on it, and they just write accept for credit, and they send it back. They don't send any money. They send that check back to the corporation, which is a dead thing. That's why the, the uh, initial um, part of the word corporation is corpus, corpse, dead thing. Because the only thing that brings a corporation to life is human, is the human mind, is the human consciousness. The only thing that brings your bills to life is your signature because we have the value. We give credit to the banks, and nobody seems to know that. That is, the, that is the thing about this entire system that most people misunderstand. The debtor is the bank. The debtor is the government, is the corporation. They are the ones in debt. That is why they always have to come to us. They have to pull us over and bring us to court to get our money. They have to pull us over and give us a speeding a ticket to give uh, a speeding ticket so we can give them our credit, our money. And that is what that is the illusion behind all of this. All corporations, all governments, 
are enlivened. They are given their life. They, just like in the Bible where the Lord supposedly breathed life into, through the nostrils of Adam, we breathe life into the corporations. We give them life. We give the government life. And once we understand that we are the creditors and they are the debtors, then there would be no real need to demand change from them. Why would an adult demand for a child to make him dinner? You know, as a, as a parent, would a parent go to the kids and say, listen, I, I really need your help. I need to borrow your car and 20 bucks because I need to make it to work. It doesn't work that way because children don't have cars. Children don't have vehicles. They don't have these assets. They don't have the money. They don't have the value. The value rests in the parents. But once the children get to a certain point to where they are willing to take responsibility for themselves, and this is what I'm getting at. Once people are willing to move from being a child where you're begging for change from an external system to an adult where you realize that we are the ones with value, we are the creditors, we, uh, we are the ones with all the value within, then we wouldn't be asking for change. It would change. And that is what I'm looking forward to with these Occupy movements is for people to recognize the fact that you don't need to ask for anything. We have it. It's about now taking an honest look at where we can go from here. You know, so now we have a blank canvas. We can go anywhere from here. But where do we go? It's, it's the typical question. Okay, you have your change. You have everything you need. Then what? And that is what I would like to see is the fact that people are starting to realize that they cannot depend upon this, uh, upon this ancient system, that's this dying uh, system that many of us are still emotionally involved in. And that is why in the film I tell people, you do have some benefits. Believe me, if you want to be a citizen of any country, you have the benefits of their protection, their, um, you know, their welfare. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I'm failing to think of some other things, but any type of gov governmental program that assists or helps people, that's great, that's fine. Because there are some people that literally, even as adults, cannot take care of those things on their own. That's what the government is supposed to be there for. People create government to take care of those who at that, certain, at that point in time are not able to take care of themselves. However, it, it was an easy trap for people to fall into to be like, well, now I don't have to take care of anything. I can live with my parents forever. And that's the problem that I see is nobody realizes anymore that all the value in the world, all of the credit comes from the people. Money is in our hands. When people are saying we are the 99%, you're right. We are the 99% and we have 100% of all the value, 100% of it, but nobody recognizes it. So that's why I tell people film, or I'm sorry, uh, put a projector screen on the side of a building, show the films for free, show my films, show Peter's films, show anybody's films, get people to start thinking about these things because why, you know, why ask for people to go into a small room and, and try and bring people to you to do a screening? Go to them. Project it on the side of a building. Bring a PA. Feed them some pizza and some water. You know, show that you're there to support them and say, here, here's one way to, to go about what you're looking for. If you want change, here's the first thing to do. Recognize that change is already happening inside you right now and recognize that the only way to keep that change going is to allow it to do what it's doing and to keep everybody inspired about the fact that things are going to change. The more that people get in the way of change, the more problems we're going to see, the more upheaval, the more panic we're going to see. However, if we are allowed or if we are able to adapt 
to what this change is asking of us right now, then I see within the next few years we will not be able to recognize this old ancient system anymore because it won't be around. It, it will have disintegrated into the ground. I guarantee it. And not a bullet has to fly. Not a bomb has to fly. Not a building has to fall. Not a person has to die. Nothing like that has to happen if people are willing to adapt to what change is trying to tell them. That's now, my sense, at least. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was actually all great, Ben. Um, there are a couple of other things I wanted to cover in the 15 minutes or so that we have left since it's a, a shorter segment than normal. Um, but I definitely would, you know, I, I love these conversations, Ben. It's why I love having you on the show. You have to come back on sometime because oh, you know, all this stuff is great. But um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, uh, what were your feelings about the uh, Zeitgeist Media Festival? It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I can't really uh, say enough about it. <clears throat> um, you know, it was the first time I, I'd met Peter. Obviously, I did the radio show with you um, and um, Roger Stahl a while back. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was great to talk with him. However, being able to to meet him, it was great to actually see him face to face. And I even I even told him I was like, you know, you know, man to man, we have our different uh, our differences and our ideals and our opinions and things like that. And I think that's beautiful. But I just want you to know, now that I've met you, you have my support as a human being, as a person, because he he is he's a very rad person. You know, he. He's smart. He's intelligent. He put on something amazing. Char, uh, all of her help uh, was absolutely incredible. It went off without a hitch. Um, all the music was absolutely incredible, especially the last two acts. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was just it was great to have that kind of community there. I, I can't really speak highly enough about it. Everybody was very genuine. Everybody was there for the same purpose. Everybody was very uh, warm and welcoming to the people around them. Uh, upstairs on, on the outside part of the, um, the music box, the venue, the music box, there was an outside uh, kind of, I don't even know how to, uh, it was like an oasis. There was, this, uh, there was fake grass and places for people to sit, umbrellas. It was out in the sun. It was a beautiful day. Um, everything about it was amazing, I can say. And plus, it was in the middle of an amazing tour that the band was on. So, you know, we, we had just come from Lincoln, Nebraska, playing for a couple thousand people, and then Boulder, Colorado, and then Vegas, and then we hit L.A., and it was it, just the entire trip, the driving, everything was incredible. But, uh, you know, again, I have to say thank you to everybody, and you specifically, for uh, getting me hooked up with that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, man, I, you know, I really do appreciate it. And what I love to see is uh, people from all different walks of life that are – generally looking for the same thing, which is just uh, humanity recognizing that the power rests within them and that change is going to happen. And that's all I see with, you know, whether or not I I agree with every documentary or book that's out there, I love the fact that people are doing what they believe and they're speaking from their heart. That's all I care about. You know what? I would even love a, uh, a, a political candidate if he was actually speaking from his heart. I wouldn't vote for him. Because I don't vote, but <laughs> right. I would love to actually see somebody speaking from their heart. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that woke me up was that although even in retrospect I don't agree with everything Ron Paul says, when I saw him quote unquote speaking from his heart when he was explaining why you know uh, people in Middle Eastern countries don't like us in an argument with Rudy Giuliani, yeah, um, that was the the catalyst moment for me to go. Did he just say that out loud? It was yeah. like. I finally had permission to speak openly about the things I had been thinking forever because I heard somebody else say it, 
That's how yeah. these things work. You know, but um, I, I wanted to get on a, a little bit, obviously, about uh, your current film that just came out, um, Ungrip. And then um, I know you said you had another one on the, you know, on the fire, so to speak. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Ungrip and then about your future work. <laughs> okay, well, um, Ungrip, yeah, it was just released October 1st. And, <clears throat> excuse me, what the, uh, basically the, the premise of the film is it's a story of, Basically, the the life, but a portion of a per, uh, this person's life, uh, this individual's life. His name's Robin the Paget family. He lives up in Canada. He decided at um, at a certain juncture in his life, after having a, a cushy job, a house, a mortgage, you know, uh, I'm not sure he had two dogs, two kids. You know, everything was exactly what you would imagine it to be to have uh, what, what an average family would want. That's freedom, right? Well, he didn't feel freedom. He felt that there was something that was that he would that was still burdening him that was still resting upon his shoulders. So he began looking into the legal side of things and the contractual side of things and he um you know learned about obviously the the term natural person and what that is and a, a natural person as opposed to an artificial person. And when he started looking into the difference between the two, and just to give a little background, an artificial person in legal terms is still considered a person, but it's a corporation. And I know that that's becoming more public knowledge now. And a natural person is actually a human being with uh, the capacity for rights and duties. Now, we don't even really use that term natural person anymore because it's still a term that was created and lives within that system. It only really exists within the legal system. And even the term sovereign is the same thing. Some people don't even like saying the word sovereign. They like saying uh, standing in universal equity or God's equity. That's a beautiful way of saying it. But Rob simply just says, I'm a human being. And when you're a human being, the courts can't see you. It's almost like you're standing in a different dimension Everything that you get pulled to court for. Now, Rob doesn't have a driver's license. He doesn't have a social security number or a social insurance number because he lives up in Canada. He doesn't have a birth certificate. Every one of those documents says property of the government on the back. So he sent it back to the you know the, the proper um, government officials and said, hey, look, I had some of your property. I don't want it anymore. I'm no longer the custodian of your property. I'm a human being. He moved his family off-grid meaning he sold his house, quit his job, moved on to this other uh, plot of land and began building a home, this thing called an earthship, which is very economically and environmentally sustainable. And they built this thing from the ground up as a family. So symbolically, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But the, the essence of the film basically is his journey through basically becoming a sovereign standing in God's equity or universal equity or just becoming a human being and removing himself from all the corporations, from the government, from the, you know, the, any type of uh, local state or, um, or principality uh, document. He gave everything up. And the only thing that he actually still has contact with the outside world is the internet and his cell phone, which obviously he's not going to create his own tower and start building his own technology so he he's okay with using those types of government contracts or um corporate contracts to get what uh, to get done what he's doing but his house catches its own rainwater 
the entire uh, front-facing wall faces towards the sun, um, and it's all windows, so it keeps the place warm, so he uses a lot less energy. The entire roof is made out of solar panels, so that's consistently being stored within these um, the almost like car batteries that are stored in the roof. It treats its own water. It has gray water uh, planters right outside uh, within a little green room area right outside. He has chickens, pigs, uh, goats, uh, basically completely self-sustained on his property. And that was where he found his freedom. And then what he realized is like, okay, you know what? Now that I'm free, this isn't it anymore. I need to go out and I need to teach people this. And that was actually where I first met him up in Toronto. He was given his first talk at my first talk. And um, we decided at that point, hey, let's get this story out to the public because, you know, people are begging for change. And this is one very, 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 I don't want to say easy, uh, but very simple understanding of what you can do to take your power back as a human being. And the reason why I showed within his story he shows that a human being going through it also has to get rid of their emotional, psychological, and their um, energetic attachments to things. Meaning if we are in some way, shape, or form still as a child emotionally and attached to the government because the government always took care of us, cops, I don't like confrontation with cops. I don't like confrontation with judges. When it gets into stuff like that, he went to court. He was shaking. His heart was pounding. He's a human being, but he still did it. You know, he still said exactly what he believed. Same thing was when he was pulled over by the police, and same thing when the tax assessor showed up on his property. So basically the film is showing that at any point in time, no matter how comfy you feel, you can change. And more likely than not, change, if you're welcoming what's actually going on, if you're actually welcoming true change, will always better your, your life. It will always enrich you, and it will always reach deep, deep, deep down into the soul, and you will come out of that that dark hole or that trying time a better person for it. And I think that's really the essence of the film. I think that it's it's interesting that you point that out because I have that very similar argument in many cases with uh, free market libertarians who they, they run for office, they want to change things in the in the system, you know, they want to, you know, m maybe get laws passed or, or things repealed that would allow them to be better businessmen and they think that'll solve it. And I said, why don't you just liberate yourself from the need to trade with anyone? You know, why don't you just liberate yourself from the need to work for anyone? You know, that's the way our society has been raised is you need to have a job. Go get a job, 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 job. Unless right. you're submitting to someone else, you're not a man, as if that makes any sense. You know, yeah. and that, that all kind of plays back into what you were talking about in your original Hang Man Project video. You know, when you're pointing out that people just don't have the right mentality to even be free, uh, they don't understand what that actually means. And the funny thing is, you know, people believe that their job is, is an aspect of their prosperity. Their their submission to someone else is an aspect of their prosperity. And someone who has managed to make their way in another way, you know, they look at those people differently. I mean, unless they own their own business and, of course, are dominating other employees who are working for them. I, I just, it's so crazy to me. And then, it reminds me of actually the, the documentary Garbage Warrior about those Earthships where the guy said the first time he made a sustainable home for himself, he experienced so just an insane amount of freedom because he's like, wait, I don't have to work. I don't have to pay any bills. I don't, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. You know, mm -hmm. that's, and that was just this amazing thing to him. Now, we don't have a lot of time, so um, what is your next film going to be about?
Well, um, I'll be honest. I've had, uh, I don't want to say conflicting thoughts about it, but I have several different ideas for the next film. Um, and I, I was thinking about it a bit more responsibly. And typically, I, I wouldn't say exactly what the next film is going to be just because there's a possibility that I may not follow through with it because there's so many other really good ideas. Right. But given the fact that, um, I don't know, that, that I don't really care about that right now, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> one of these <laughs> ideas is um, – one of the ideas a few nights ago was actually a film that is a follow-up from Esoteric Agenda, actually very specifically from Esoteric Agenda forward. Uh, I know I've said that Chimatica – was in a sense a continuation of esoteric agenda, but more in in the fashion, not conspiratorially, but where I would have been today making esoteric agenda with what I understand today. And it actually starts with some of the footage, and, and the idea came from a lot of the footage I've been getting at these Occupy movements. And um, and I don't know, some of the titles that were being thrown around in the head was – actually, the title was what really kind of grabbed me. Um, I was trying to look for something quite uh, – you know, not having to be as serious as, you know, as typically these films are. Uh, something esoteric this way comes was the first thing that came uh, came to mind. So in a sense, it's playing off of esoteric agenda, but it's a continuation. It's up to the point – that you know, esoterica got to throughout history because I, I went from ancient history to today, and then from today into the future, and it's actually going to be more of an exploration of what if, and it's in a sense, it's not really. I mean, the research is going to be there, um, and these are just the ideas I had. But you know, the research is going to be there, but it's going to basically be more about the what ifs of what if we were to take things in this direction or what if this were to happen and just playing out those scenarios to basically give an energetic understanding of, okay, wait a minute, we're here, we're, we're sitting here and we're just waiting for tomorrow to happen and we'll deal with tomorrow as it comes. And then the next day we'll deal with it. And we all think that we're planning, but we're not planning collectively. We're planning individually. And this film is really going to explore the, the collective what ifs about where we go from here as a species even. You know, what if this and what if that? So that was one idea that I had. Um, I'll keep the other ideas uh, up right now. Right. Well, you know what? You have a freedom to change your mind regardless. I just hope you continue to make films that go along with more of these ideas. And obviously we look forward to hearing about them. When you're getting ready to release, let me know, and we'll bring them up on V-Radio. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Neil. All right. Well, we're down to the last minute or so of the show. Um, ben, why don't you give the URL to your website again? Okay. It's www.talismanicidols.org, and that's T-A-L-I-S-M-A-N-I-C-I-D-O-L-S.org. And then there's also hangedmanproject.com. And I encourage everybody to check, you know, to go to my Facebook page, which just look for Ben Stewart or Talismanic Idols. Excellent, excellent. Thanks again, Ben, for being on V Radio today, as always. And um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. If you like what you heard on V Radio, as much as I hate it, I'm still a slave to the monetary system, too. <laughs> Consider a donation at um, v-radio.org. Click the Donate button. And for every dollar value of your donation, you get entered into a raffle for a free item from the V Radio store. Um, 
Thanks again, everybody. I'm going to leave you with some parting words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.